0: Hello and welcome to Mr. President from otrgold.com. This episode will begin after a brief message from our sponsors.
1: Mr. President, transcribed in Hollywood and starring Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer's Edward Arnold. Mr. President at home in the White House. The elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who've lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President.
0: In just a moment, you will hear Edward Arnold as Mr. President. But first, may we point out the truth of the saying, history repeats itself. For instance, did you know that there has been a president of the United States who was a general in our army and who was drafted for the presidency? Did you know that there was a president who broke with both regular parties and formed a third party of his own? Did you know that there was a president who promoted a general over the heads of a dozen other officers because the president believed that general was a better commander than his superiors? Yes, These incidents sound familiar to you in the light of our own times, and yet they all happened many years ago. Here on this weekly radio program, you listen to those stories and learn of the great men who have made our history. Listen now to this story and see if you can name the president whose career this story is about. Now, in just a moment, Edward Arnold.
1: Edward Arnold as Mr. President. Let's visit him in the White House. It is Sunday, and the old mansion is resting quietly after a busy week. We walk through the great doors under the presidential seal, across the foyer and down the long hall
2: to the president's study. Oh, hello. Sit down, won't you? You know, in a lot of ways, a president can be compared to the father of a family. It's true, especially when a president's been in office for several years. He comes to think of his cabinet and all the men who hold offices under him as members of one large family. No matter how much wrangling and arguing there might be at times, within that family, whenever the reputation of one of its members is threatened, the president takes it as a personal problem. That's what happens in our story today. Later on, of course, I'll tell you what president had to face such a problem. But meanwhile, you may be able to guess. <laughs> It was about five months before the end of my final term in office. An early spring day with warm sunshine flooding the White House lawn. I turned for a moment to glance out of my office window at the fresh green of the trees when my secretary entered.
3: Mr. President, Mr. President.
2: Hmm? What? Oh, yes, Miss Sarah. Oh,
3: I'm sorry if I disturbed
2: you. No, sir. no, you didn't at all.
3: You seem many miles away, sir. Well,
2: many years away is more like it. I was thinking that if I was still a gangling Virginia boy, wild horses couldn't keep me from going fishing on a day like this. <laughs> uh, Miss Sarah, you'd better give me a dose of my mother's favorite remedy for spring fever. Molasses and turpentine. <laughs>
3: <laughs> Mr. President, what you need is a long rest. If you could just get away from Washington for a while and all the problems you have here. Miss
2: Sarah, there's one thing I've learned about problems. If you try to leave them before they're solved, they follow you like your own shadow. Have the cabinet members arrived for this morning's meeting?
3: Yes, sir, but there's something I think you should know about before you meet with the cabinet.
2: Really? What is it? You're worried.
3: I hate to be the one to tell you, sir. I know how upset you are over that A-B plot against Secretary Crawford. Oh, no!
2: don't tell me the paper has printed another one of those letters attacking Crawford. Yes, sir. What charges does the anonymous attacker make this time?
3: I have the paper here, sir. Uh-huh. In general, the accusations are the same, that the Secretary of the Treasury is incompetent, that he's mishandled the government's funds. No,
2: it's a lot of unfounded poppycock. I certainly wouldn't have kept Crawford in my cabinet for almost eight years if he were competent.
3: And then the letter goes on to discredit his qualifications for the presidency. Oh, of
2: course, of course. The whole aim of these letters... Is that have been plaguing us for a year is to ruin Crawford's chances in the fall election.
3: Well, This last paragraph is particularly strong, Mr. President. I'd like you to read it, sir. Mm-hmm. Well, let me see it. It's right there, sir.
2: Uh-huh. And I have it on good authority that the president is greatly opposed to vacating his executive chair to William Harris Crawford. <laughs> good authority. Backroom, washing, gossip.
3: The letters have caused a great deal of talk, sir.
2: Don't I know it? They've become the great Washington mystery. A few adult brains have even gone so far as to suspect that I'm the author of them. Oh, but that's ridiculous. Oh, I realize Crawford has bitter personal feelings toward me because I beat him in the election eight years ago. He's even been able to... Well, he's been able to forgive me for that. But he hasn't let personal interests interfere with his work as a cabinet member before, and I don't expect him now. Please show the gentleman in. can count on you to take care of that bill for me, Adler? Uh, yes, Mr. President. Uh, now, there's just one more matter which I'm sure you will all agree on, and then you can all go to lunch. I'm appointing Ninian Edwards minister to Mexico. Hmm. Uh, good selection, in my opinion, sir. Well, then we might as well. I'm
1: sorry, Mr. President, but I shall have to disagree with the Secretary of State and the other gentlemen.
2: What's that, Crawford?
1: I think it would be a serious mistake to send Ninian Edwards to Mexico.
2: Why? Why? <laughs> I assume you have reasons for making such a statement, Crawford. Certainly, sir. I ask you to examine his history as governor of Illinois. Oh, I did that quite thoroughly.
1: I consider his
2: record excellent.
1: He placed personal interest before the interests of the state. He used his governorship to foster his own financial gains. Oh, oh, oh come now, Crawford. Look at Wait the a... facts, sir. He built factories throughout Illinois during his governorship.
2: But he was established in that business before his election.
1: Mr. President, I'm very serious about this. Ninian Edwards is not the type of person
2: for a diplomatic post. I'm sorry. Sorry, but I can't understand this prejudice of yours, Crawford, against Edwards. Unless you have some reasons you're not stating. I rather think, sir, you don't care to see my
1: point of view. Perhaps there's some truth in the letter printed in this morning. Crawford,
2: I... I don't feel a cabinet member should discuss the A.B. letters.
1: I didn't intend to, sir. And yet, when they're the topic of conversation in every Washington gathering, when I can feel myself being stared at and whispered about as I walk down the street... Why should the subject be so studiously avoided in cabinet meetings? I've had to bear the false attacks of those vicious letters for over a year. I
2: assure you, Crawford, those letters have been a constant source of worry to me also.
1: Hardly as much as to me, I imagine, sir. After all, your term in office is nearly over. Your future is not at stake. But the record of my administration will be a matter of history. And I am most anxious that its tone be honorable. If that's true, sir, it seems to me you could have been more successful in uncovering the author of these
2: letters. A president is still just an ordinary man, you know not a crystal gazer. I've done all in my power to discover the identity of the person signing himself A.B. I can do no more. But I can hardly see, sir. And I i don't care to discuss it further. Do you have any other points against my appointment of Ninny and Edwards to Mexico, Governor? No, sir. But I will again say that I think you're making a very bad choice. You have a right to your opinion. But as you know, the final decision is still mine. Ah! Come in, Miss Sarah. But Mr. President,
3: Mr. Clinton
2: is here. Oh, fine. Show him right in, won't you? The
3: President will see you now, Mr. Clinton.
2: Thank you, Miss Sarah. Good afternoon, Mr. President. Oh, hello, Henry. I'm glad to see you. It's a pleasure to see you too, sir. I always feel at home here. That's how I want you to feel, Henry. This is in no way a formal meeting. You know, it's a strange paradox, but it's harder for a President to have real friends than it is for any other man. And yet no man needs friends more. But in you and Miss Sarah here, I feel I have real friends. I've always hoped you felt that way, sir. Thank you, sir. Yes, Henry, you and I were boys in Virginia together. We've been in politics for a long time, sometimes on opposite sides of the fence. And during the years you've been Speaker of the House, we've had our differences. But I always knew I could count on you. <laughs> And even though she pretends she doesn't, Miss Sarah knows I'd be lost without her. Why, Mr. President, <laughs> Sarah's a diplomatic woman. Diplomatic? <laughs> thank goodness we don't have any lady ambassadors. I'd lose the best secretary man I've ever had. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> but as I was saying, I want to discuss something with you, Henry. I'm appointing Ninian Edwards minister to Mexico. Well, he should be quite capable. Well, my secretary of the treasury is dead set against Edwards' appointment. Uh, I'd like to change Crawford's attitude uh, towards Edwards a bit before he leaves Washington for Mexico. Maybe I'm old-fashioned, but I'd like to think of the people under me as a unit working together.
3: Do Mr. Edwards and Mr. Crawford know each other, sir?
2: Oh, I'm sure they must be acquainted. Mm -hmm. But that's probably as far as it goes. Now, I'd like to make an attempt to bring them together. How would you like to go about it, sir? Well, uh, Henry, that's where you come in. Uh, You've invited Miss Sarah and me to a small dinner party next Monday night. I believe I... I wonder if you'd mind uh, adding Crawford and Edwards to your guest list. No, not at all, Mr. President. be very happy to. Oh, thank you very much, Henry. I appreciate it. Perhaps the evening would also serve to convince Crawford that I'm not opposed to his election in the fall.
1: Not often, I feel
2: as completely relaxed as I do this evening. I think it's your home that does it. Don't you find there's a comfortable atmosphere about it, Crawford, Edwards? Well, sir, I beg your pardon, Mr. Edwards. No, no.
1: Go right ahead, Mr. Crawford. I was only going to say, sir, that I've always enjoyed Mr. Clinton's hospitality. Of course, I'm not the seasoned Washingtonian Mr. Crawford is, but in the few years I've been here, I've always been
2: most grateful for invitations from Mr. Clinton. Well, you're all very kind. Glad we're able to have this little dinner before you left, Mr. Edwards. Thank you. Yes, so am I, Henry. We need eat evenings like this more often. We get so bogged down with governmental business, we're sometimes apt to forget the people we're associated with are still very human. At times, I'm afraid Miss Sarah thinks I mistake her for a perpetual motion regime. <laughs> Not at all, Mr. President. <laughs> you see how loyal she is, even though I am a slave driver? <laughs> Oh, heavens, don't tell me that's 10.30 striking. It certainly is, sir. The evening's gone very quickly. Again, proof of its pleasantness.
3: Well, I'd better get my wrap. All
2: right, Miss Aaron, while you're doing that, I want to see that new fishing rod Henry's been bragging about. If you gentlemen will excuse me... Certainly, sir. Right this way, Mr. President. And I promise you, you'll want one like it. Yes, except that I never have the time to go fishing, Henry.
1: <laughs> well, Mr. Crawford, I think we managed ourselves quite well this evening, don't you? Just what do you mean, Mr. Edwards? Come now, Crawford, the President isn't within earshot. We needn't pretend to have friendly feelings toward one another. I should never bother to do so to you, Mr. Edwards. Nor I to you, sir. Tell me, have you been able to discover the author of the A.B. letters as yet? Mr. Edwards, I have no intention of letting you raise my anger. I refuse to discuss the matter. Oh, I'm sorry. I thought perhaps you'd learn to laugh them off by now. But I've... I've, I've... Just forget I mentioned them. Yes, I will. Let's talk about something else. Have you ever been to Mexico, Mr. Crawford? I have not. I was wondering if you thought I'd like it there. I'm quite satisfied with my appointment. If I were you, Mr. Edwards, I wouldn't become too fond of
2: Mexico. Oh?
1: Why do you say that? Because if I win the election this fall, one of my first executive acts will be to replace you as minister.
3: Yes,
2: Miss Sarah?
3: Just wanted to tell you, Mr. President, all arrangements have been made for your transportation. Within a few days, you'll be spending that vacation with your family. Miss
2: Sarah, you get things done with the speed of ten secretaries.
3: I wanted to have everything ready before you changed your mind, sir. You don't know how happy I am. You're finally getting away for a while.
2: Yes, I'll admit I'm looking forward to it. For once, I don't think I have any real worries to shadow me.
3: You'll come back feeling like a new person, sir. I hope. Excuse me, I'll see who that is. Mr. President. Oh,
1: good morning, Miss
2: Sarah. Oh, hello, Henry. Come in. Oh, good morning, Mr. President. I, I'm sorry to interrupt you, well, sir. What's the matter, Henry? What is it? What's happened? Mr. President, I just received a letter from Ninian Edwards written en route to Mexico. It was sent to me in my official capacity as Speaker of the House. Well, what does it say? I have it here, sir, and I think you should read it. All right. Well, let me see it. I hereby charge William Harris Crawford with illegal legal use of public funds, and malfeasance in his office as Secretary of the Treasury. I accuse him of sole responsibility for the failure of the bank in Edwardsville, Illinois. I hereby demand his impeachment by the House of Representatives. And I consider this an opportune time to declare that I am the author of the letters which have been appearing in Washington newspapers for a year under the initials of A.B., Good heavens. Mr. President. Yes, I was as shocked as you, sir. Edwards has been writing these letters. Of all the people I suspected, I never once thought of him. What can be done, sir? Well, there's only one thing to do. I'll send the sergeant at arms after Edwards at once to bring him back to Washington. Oh, well. That, Miss Sarah, is the end of my vacation. <laughs>
1: In just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President.
0: Have you ever thought of how the words freedom from fear might apply to you? One fear that might bear on any of us is the fear for security in our jobs, churches, and homes. In a society where there are prejudices, no one can feel secure. In such a society, no one can be completely without fear. Therefore, if you hold prejudices against any person because of his race, religion, or national origin... You're placing yourself in a position where others might be turned against you. So we must all fight prejudice, judge people by the character of their lives alone. Work in your community, in your church, business, trade unions, your schools, to promote our American principles of racial and religious freedom. Remember, if you work to eliminate prejudice, you're working to eliminate one cause of fear for your own security. Now, back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President.
2: Well, have you guessed by now who the president was in this story? Remember that political enmities have existed since the beginning of government, and there's seldom been a president who hasn't had to cope with the problem, though not all of them became so serious. Later on, I'll tell you which one this was. The news of Ninny and Edwards' letter concerning William Crawford swept Washington within a day. A political war was on with two definite camps, one comprising the friends of Edwards and the other the friends of Crawford. When Ninny and Edwards arrived back in Washington, I had them come directly to my office. Well, Edwards, I didn't expect to be seeing you so soon again. Frankly, sir, I didn't expect that you would recall me to Washington. And you gave me no choice. That letter of yours had serious charges charges in it against Governor Crawford. I grant you that, Mr. President, but I thought you might wait until the fall to go into the matter. After all, Congress is adjourning within a week. You know, Edwards... A lot of Crawford's friends are saying you timed that letter with just that in mind, hoping that the affair would ride until the next session of Congress so that Crawford's chances in the fall election would be ruined. Yes, Mr. President, that was my idea. Uh-huh. But it wasn't based on the whim of a moment. I have valid grounds
1: for maintaining that Crawford is not fit for his office of Secretary of the Treasury, and I'd do most
2: anything I could to prevent his election to the presidency. At least you're honest about it, but I don't think you realize what a stir this affair was going to cause. Well, I'll admit I didn't expect it to turn Washington upside down as it has, Mr. President. I'm sorry to have been the cause of so much worry to him. It doesn't matter about me, Edwards, but you should have thought of yourself. What do you mean, sir? Well, your one plan since the first of the A.B. letters has been to hurt Crawford. But you may find you've ruined your own political career. I'm not concerned about that, sir. As I said, I have facts to back up my accusations of Crawford. He has deliberately misused public funds, and I'm willing to go on record on that. Right, which you already have gone on record. However, it's still not too late to repair the damages. If you would make a statement retracting your letter... Never, sir. Mr. President, I think you have confidence in me, or you wouldn't have appointed me minister to Mexico. Of course I do. You have a fine record up to now. And I like you personally, but hang it all, man. I can no longer save you if your charges are false. They aren't false, Mr. President. I'm willing to stake my reputation on that. Huh? I can take that as your final answer, then? You won't make a retraction? No, sir. Mm-hmm. Very level, Edwards. I don't think we need to discuss the matter any further. i trying to see you for a week, Mr. President. Yes, Crawford, I know. I think I've had half of Washington in my office within the last few days. I thought you might spare me a little time before this. Sir. Now, look, Crawford, you and I have had our personal differences... But you've got to realize that I'm as upset about this matter as you are. There was no point in my seeing you until I talked with Nellie Edwards. You've seen him? He left here less than an hour ago. Has he persuaded you that his charges against me are justified? Of course not. You've been a member of my cabinet for eight years. I have the highest esteem for your ability and integrity
1: as Secretary of the Treasury. But you know what the real issue at stake is. is, uh, Edwards is trying to keep me from the
2: presidency in the fall. He admitted that to me, Crawford. I thought he... Might be willing to retract his indictment when he saw I wasn't going to let the affair ride, but he refuses. I don't know what you expect me to do, sir. Do? Well, nothing except be as honest with me as possible. I said the same thing to Edwards. I respect both of you. But it's only common horse sense that one of you must be wrong in this thing. And if I call an investigation, it will undoubtedly mean political ruin for one of you. Now, if you know of any basis for Edwards' accusations.
1: Mr. It... President, those charges are false from beginning to end. I would welcome an investigation.
2: If you don't care to
1: accept my word, why. Why,
2: Mr. Crawford, since your word and Edwards' are diametrically opposed, I can't accept both. There's only one thing left to do air the whole thing in a public investigation. <laughs> Silence, please. Continue,
1: Mr. Crawford. As Secretary of the Treasury, I feel I have done all in my power to execute my office to the best of my ability. There are many states in our country which have a deranged currency. Now, after long thought and wise counsel, I decided to select certain banks of deposit and take the notes of certain other banks in payment for public land. Had I not done so... Many inhabitants would have been turned out of doors and lost their lands. Had this happened, I would deserve the accusations which are now being hurled at me so falsely. Uh, Mr. Edwards. I should like to cite, Mr. Speaker, for the committee's consideration, the matter of the Bank of Edwardsville, Illinois, which defaulted in a considerable sum to the government. Families lost their life savings. But that bank need never have defaulted except for the gross neglect of the Secretary of the Treasury, Mr. Crawford. Mr. Speaker, I object. Yes, yes, Mr. Crawford. How could the failure of the Edwardsville Bank be due to my gross neglect, as Mr. Edwards puts it, when I was totally unaware of its precarious position until it was too late to save it? Shouldn't the governor of the state, who was Mr. Edwards, have informed me of the situation? I did inform you, Mr. Crawford. Long before the bank failure, I sent you a letter informing you of the condition of the bank. That is not true, Mr. Speaker. I was never sent such a letter by Mr. Edwards. Mr. Speaker, I should like to present as evidence a copy from my files of that very letter.
2: Well, Henry, what do you make of it? Uh, I'm at a loss as to what we should do now, Mr. President investigation has simply been going in circles for days, ending up right back where it started. And the whole thing hinges on that letter. Yes, exactly. Edwards insists that he sent it, his secretary substantiate him, yet Crawford swears he never got such a letter, and so does his secretary. If either of the men had had a black mark on their record before, it would be easier to doubt one of them. But as strange as it seems, I believe both the men are telling the truth.
3: Well, it's quite possible, sir. Letters have been lost before they reach their destination. Well,
2: I'm sure that's what must have happened. Well, it would be a little difficult to convince the court of that.
3: If you had the proof you could convince them, sir.
2: How does one prove something's been lost?
3: By finding it again, sir.
2: Well, well, Miss Sarah, you are ingenious. I haven't been able to see the trees for the forest for the forest for the trees. It would mean a great deal of trouble, Mr. President. The search might prove fruitless. But at least there's a chance, Henry. Miss Sarah, I want every post office at Edwardsville and Washington to search through their dead letter of departments immediately. President. Miss Sarah, do I dare to hope from the look on your face?
3: Yes, the... Mr. President, yes. Oh, no. It's been located. A special messenger just brought it from a Washington Post office. Oh,
2: thank heaven, Miss Sarah. Now, I want to send a letter to uh, to Henry Clinton immediately. Yes, sir. Uh, just say, my dear Mr. Speaker, I'm sorry, I'm happy rather to report that the letter which Ninian Edwards declared to have sent to William Crawford was mailed, but that the letter never reached Mr. Crawford, as it was lost en route. The letter has been retrieved, however, and I now have it in my possession. Mr.
3: President? Yes,
2: Miss Sarah?
3: Uh, Mr. Edwards and Mr. Crawford would like to see you, sir.
2: Oh, no. Show them in. Yes,
3: sir. This way, gentlemen.
2: Thank you. Thank you. Well, gentlemen, I'm certainly glad to see you. I should imagine, sir, that you'd welcome not ever having me in your sight again after the trouble I've caused you. Oh, nonsense. Troubles are easily forgotten. (laughs) At least I hope that's the way it'll be with you two. Well, in spite of our differences, Mr. President, Edwards
1: and I agree on one thing that we owe you a sincere debt of gratitude for the honesty and fairness with which you treated both of us.
2: I said from the beginning that I believed both of your stories. Happily enough, I was proved right. But there aren't many men who would have gone to the lengths you did, sir. Oh, now, wait. I wasn't doing it just for you alone. Well, I understand that, sir. I know you did it
1: out of duty to your office and to the things that this country stands for. And, uh, Mr. President, I would like to apologize for... The way I've acted towards you on several occasions in the past. Oh, forget it, Crawford, forget it. I'm afraid I can't, sir. I'll admit I was envious because you had twice beaten me in the presidential elections. But I want to tell you now, sir, that if
2: I had to take a beating,
1: I can't think of a better man to have given it to me.
2: Well, you can't tell, Crawford, with this mess all cleared up, you may come out the winner next time. <laughs> you've probably figured out by now who I was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and I'll tell you the answer in just a moment.
0: You'll be first with the facts when you hear Drew Pearson on the air every Sunday evening over most of these same ABC stations. When Drew Pearson goes on the air from the Capitol, you know you are hearing the inside version of the news, the factual highlights that lie behind the headlines. For Drew Pearson gets behind the headlines, talks with statesmen and other high-ranking officials in order to bring you informed reports on current national and international affairs. So for predictions and inside stories of the news, listen in when Drew Pearson is heard this evening and every Sunday evening over most ABC stations. Night and day we keep you up on the latest news. So keep your dial tuned the ABC way. Now here again is Edward Arnold.
2: The time of our story was 1824. And Mr. President then was a man noted for his tact and diplomacy, a true Virginian and a gentleman, James Monroe. In a letter to Thomas Jefferson, President Monroe described the Edwards-Crawford affair as the most painful of his life. But with the help of his good friend Henry Clay, whom we called Henry Clinton, he conducted it in a fair and just way that brought him praise from the entire nation. Come and see me again next week, won't you? I'll have another story for you about Mr. President that I'm sure you'll enjoy. Goodbye.
1: Arnold appeared by arrangement with Metro-Goldwyn-Mayer, producers of the Technicolor musical A Date with Judy, starring Wallace Berry, Jane Powell, and Elizabeth Taylor. (laughs) Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. It is produced and directed by Dwight Hauser. Miss Sarah was played by Betty Lou Gerson. This transcribed story by Agnes Eckhart was suggested by incidents in the administration of President James Monroe. Music was composed and conducted by Basil Adlam.
0: Be sure to listen again next week when the American Broadcasting Company and its affiliated stations bring you Edward Arnold with another interesting and factual story of Mr. President. This is ABC, the American Broadcasting Company.